Good morning, church. The scripture reading from this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who, began to, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Crystal, for reading, and Brother Steve for leading us in prayer. Let's all bow our heads in prayer one more time. Let's pray. God, uh, we are helpless before your word except for your help, because this isn't just about comprehending words on a page. This is about a soul being transformed by the very words of God. So we need your help. And our great encouragement is that you promise to illuminate, shine light on these words and shine light in our hearts, especially in those dark places, which we do bring before you and confess. So Jesus, even as we hear the cooing and chattering little ones in our midst, a blessing, a gift, I pray that you would help make us like them, like children, a, a tangible reminder uh, that we should come to you needy and dependent, not wise in ourselves, and not knowing all the answers. We go to you, and especially to the one who is the answer, even Jesus, whom we long to see, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, today marks the kickoff of our fall ministry season, with many people traveling throughout the summertime, and now with school restarting for our children and work rebooting uh, for our adults and a, a joy to be back together after for many of us being apart over the last couple of months. It's a good time, therefore, for us to revisit questions like, uh, who are we as a church? Uh, what's Grace Meridian Hill all about? Or in other words, what's the mission of our church. And of course, for those of you that might be newcomers to our community, this question is one that might be helpful to you. Uh, tell me more about this church. Tell me more about what I'm getting myself into, you might be thinking. But also for you veteran members who've been here for a while, maybe it's a great time for you to receive a refresher, a set of reminders about the kind of church we long to be by God's grace. And I think I might be able to say it's especially needed, this conversation about the mission of our community, especially needed given the unique challenges of this pandemic season, 
of this time where we have had a prolonged period of being apart, uh, where perhaps given the daily challenges of what feels like survival, both individually and communally, may be a good time for us to regroup and say, hold on a second, what's our goal? Who are we trying to be? What are we, by God's grace, trying to become as a church community? So, what is our mission? Well, you can find it printed in your electronic liturgies there before you on your phones or computers. You can also find it overhead on the screen. Our mission, as we've articulated it over the past several years, is to build a gospel community that is intentionally spiritually diverse, cross-cultural, and neighborhood-centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan, Petworth, and beyond. That's our mission statement. I want to invite you to consider it over the next couple of weeks because we're going to unpack them throughout this month, unpack this mission statement, focusing on different key phrases and words, and looking at some of the biblical foundations underneath that. We'll do that across a few sermons right here during our Sunday services, but also if you're on our email list, we're going to be sending out a series of emails that explain and review what each of these components of our mission statement actually means. In fact, the first email was just sent out to you a couple minutes ago. You can check your email boxes later on and read over that. Today, we're looking at the phrase, gospel community. We endeavor by God's grace as a church to build a gospel community. A gospel community is a church, a community, a family that's anchored in the gospel, that is defined by humbled by, fueled by, propelled into the lives of our neighbors by the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the good news. It's the wonderful news that God, by his loving initiative, sent his son into our sinful and broken world to live and to die and to rise again to make all things new, starting with you. That story of redemption is what anchors us. It's what defines us as a church. A gospel community is a place where people's lives are being changed by the grace of God, where we're being set free from our sin, where we're being healed of our lifelong wounds. A place where we are beginning to believe that there's truly nothing that you can do to make God love you more if you're in Christ. And there's nothing that you can fail to do that will make God love you any less if you're in Christ because his love for you is perfect, infinite, and unchanging if you are found in Jesus. The gospel community is a church where Jesus is changing our relationships even as he changes our own lives. Where we're finding amongst ourselves safety, 
where we can almost finally come out from hiding, where we can find the faith courage to step out and show the real broken person, the real fearful and anxious person, the real lost and scared person that we really are. You know, that person that you know yourself to be behind closed doors, that person that you set aside and almost never disclose, that person who is the real you, that person who longs to be loved as the real you, not the false self that we trot out day after day before one another. Dear friends, the gospel gives us the freedom and the courage finally to be ourselves, to be honest about our flaws, to be honest about our need for the love of God and one another. A gospel community is a place where what ultimately binds us together isn't a common personality or a common politics or a common ethnic background, but rather a common savior. Jesus who loves us with a life revolutionizing love. A gospel community in short is a people in a place that are all about Jesus. This is the community that we long to be. At least this is the first component that we're exploring together that defines who we are as a church. And we find some of these themes right here in this morning's passage, Luke chapter 5. It's a brief story that comes from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry when he was first personally gathering his disciples, the 12 people that he would form and walk with for three years and whom he would cut loose to be the beginnings, the foundation of the movement of the church that would change the world. He comes to this first individual named Levi, also known as Matthew, and he calls to him and he says, follow me. Levi drops everything, gets up, and follows this Jesus. And what I want to look at you, look with you at today from this passage are really two things. First, who it is that Jesus welcomes, whom Jesus welcomes, and secondly, how such welcomed people respond, who he welcomes and how they respond. First of all, who is it that Jesus welcomed as he walked along this road and plucked this individual out to become one of his disciples? Well, let me put it to you this way. Jesus gathers and forms a community around himself with all the wrong people. Levi was a tax collector. And of course, in all times and places, no one likes their taxes being collected. That was true then as it is true today. But more than that, tax collectors were famously synonymous in the culture as being greedy and immoral individuals, indeed of being thieves. 
They were, by Roman custom, allowed to sort of line their own pockets, charging the people not only what the state required of them, but a little bit of a surplus with a little discretion that they might be able to profit from this taxation scheme. Everybody knew about it, but nobody could really do anything about it. After all, these tax collectors would pull off this extortion scheme with not a little bit of violence and even threats. They were therefore among the most loathed people in Jewish and Roman society. They were, on top of all of this immorality, also famously rejected, set aside, shunned from polite society as people being religiously unclean. Because as Jewish tax collectors, they were constantly in contact with unclean Gentiles. They were also viewed as traitors of the Jewish people, being in collusion with the Roman Empire as they were. No one wanted to be among the tax collectors. No one could dare imagine that this Messiah Jesus the one who claimed to be the savior of the world, the one who claimed to be the very son of God, that God himself would surround himself with such company. And yet this is the gracious savior that we have. Not only that he would find it a delight to be in the company of such as tax collectors, but that he would be delighted to find himself in the company of such as you and me. Sinners. Sinners. Of course, this was scandalous to the religious community, especially the leaders. We're told in verse 30 that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' other disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Their assumption, of course, was that a person is known by the company that they keep. How could this Jesus, for all the claims that he was making, find himself in such company? They believed, in other words, what we all by instinct tend to believe. That acceptance by God is by merit. And so if God's favor worked according to merit, there's no way that people with such a long list of demerits could possibly find God's favor. And yet they didn't know the wisdom that even American author Mark Twain expressed, he who was not himself a professing Christian, but could express such wisdom when he said, heaven goes by favor. If heaven went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. We are, after all, more sinful, more selfish, more ridden by our demerits than we typically want to admit. Unable to admit, of course, because of all the defenses and denials that we erect on an almost habitual basis. How often do you, do I, I'm the chief of all of them, 
can immediately come up with those defenses, knowing how to pass blame, how to excuse myself, how to make sure that it's very clear that I'm right and you are always wrong. We are, dear friends, sick, which is precisely what Jesus calls all of us, sinners who are sick, a moral kind of sickness, people who need a deep kind of healing, people who need a doctor. First and foremost, Jesus, of course, is talking about the sickness of our sin, a moral sickness, the ways in which we live selfishly. Dare we admit that today? That we arrange our relationships every moment, even the jokes in the room in a way that shines light upon ourselves. We're addicted to ourselves. We can't bear not to be the recipient of every good thing around us. And we struggle to give, to lower ourselves, to put others first. It's what the Bible calls sin. Even if you don't consider yourself an especially religious person, can you be a little honest this morning before God in the company of fellow sinners that yes, we have an instinct of selfishness. It's simply what the Bible calls sin. It's a sin sickness, but of course there are other kinds of sicknesses for which we need healing and help. Physical sickness, we need healing. Emotional sickness, a sexual kind of sickness which characterizes all of us, by the way. Financial sickness, all kinds of brokenness and need. I want you to know today, because of God's word and testimony, that you can have confidence that Jesus is never surprised by your weakness, by your sickness. And so should we be also unsurprised to discover ourselves to be sinners. Maybe this one is a little harder, that by God's grace, we should learn to be not so surprised that other people are sinners too. It makes us more gracious, more forgiving, more kind to know that, hey, if we all had x-rays put up on our hearts and you saw what was in my heart, you saw what was in my mind, the words that I want to say that I hold back from saying and think I get full credit when I barely get half credit for not saying them, to be able to say with humility, I am the chief of sinners and yet you're a sinner too. Walk with me to the great physician. Do you see, this is what Jesus calls himself when he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus was saying, you, you, you self-righteous moralists, you are sick too who need a doctor. You simply don't know it because you don't know how sick you really are. The only ones, by the grace of God, who have no hope of healing are not those that are too sick. There's no such thing as a person that's beyond the healing reach of God. The only ones who have no hope of healing are those two who deny that they're sick in the first place, who don't run to the doctor, who don't seek healing. 
Jesus once, as he was about to heal a, a sick man physically, asked a profound question that needs to be asked of each of us. Before healing him, he said, do you want to be healed? Oh, dear friends, you might be hurting. You might feel lost. You might be clamoring for something. Do you want to be healed? There is a healer, a great physician, the doctor of our souls, and his name is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, described him reflecting upon this passage in this way. If you want to know what his medicine is, this doctor, I may tell you it's his own blood. Unlike other physicians who give bitter potions to their patients, the great physician drank all the medicine himself for our sin. But you will ask, what is his fee? He gives healing without money and without price. And you will ask, what are his hours? Any hour and every hour by night or by day. But you will say, where can I find him? Just wherever you are sitting or standing now, you can find him if you will, but breathe this prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Blessed physician, Spurgeon concludes, thou canst heal the vilest, the most diseased, the most helpless and hopeless of sinners. Amen. If this is true of who Jesus is, the doctor of our souls, the healer of our sins and sickness, then what that means is that the church should be like a hospital. Full of sick people. When you come to church, when you step into Christian community, what kind of people do you expect to find? If the church is a gospel community, where people are saved not by merit, but by grace. You should expect to find a lot of sinners saved by grace. If the church is a place full of sick people in need of a healer, you should expect to find a lot of brokenness. And guess what? That is what we are. So can we quit pretending? Can we quit faking it? Because listen, you ain't faking out nobody. At least if we're honest with ourselves. The church is meant to be a hospital. Uh, not a place of well people. The church is meant to be a hospital, uh, not a polished country club. The church is meant to be a hospital, uh, not the cool bar where people hang out to get ahead. The church is meant to be a place that normalizes neediness weakness and joy because you're experiencing the healing grace 
of God. A hospital where people are able to step in to the ER, as it were, and say, I'm sick. I'm lost. Right, where it's not even a matter of being free to say that, it's where you're expected to say that. Where you look around and you don't go to an ER, an emergency room, and you look around and you say, you sick? And someone says, no, I'm not sick, I'm just, you know, here. Can the church be a place that normalizes people that confess joyfully? I don't got everything figured out. I'm not put together. I don't have all the answers. But we know the one who does. And we know the one who is. Namely, Jesus. A place where we can confess collectively and individually again and again and again. I'm a mess, but I'm loved by God. I'm a mess, but I am loved by God. I'm a mess, but I'm loved by God. A sinner saved by grace. A sick person being healed by the great physician. Can we be people that can confess our weakness in such a way where we can say readily, joyfully, willingly, I don't have the power or the resources to save myself. I cannot change my broken heart. I cannot heal myself. I am weak. Can you confess that today in the presence of the grace of God? I am weary. Some of you are so tired today. And tired not only because of the circumstances and trials of life outside of you, but also because of the trials within you. Because for some of you, you've been living your life almost like one of those old Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. Right, where you're obsessively pursuing some kind of goal or dream, be it a relationship or a, or a career, or maybe it's a certain body type, where you're going after that thing again and again and again, no matter how many times your head gets crushed by a big rock, as it were. No matter how abusive that relationship might be, no matter how harmful that addictive pursuit might be in your life, oh, you're weary in your souls when you come to the physician and confess to him, I'm tired, and he will pick you up. Some of you need to confess just how deeply wounded you are and bring those hurts to God. Recently, I had the little pleasure of watching the movie Cruella, which was better than I expected. This is the origin story of the cartoon villain Cruella de Vil from the 101 Dalmatians, a fine little story that I grew up loving as a kid. And this movie is just such a great reminder that for so many people, their breaking bad in adulthood often stems from deep wounds and pain that's left unresolved. See, many of us today are bad because we're sad. There are ways in which you need to bring these things before God 
for that kind of healing too. Friends, what would it look like for us to be a community, a gospel community that normalizes need? And this cuts across every part of our church's vision, of course. Need where we stumble into this component of what we call becoming a cross-cultural church community where we humble ourselves in engaging in cross-cultural conversations with a readiness to repent because we know that we're needy for wisdom, for skill, for perspective that we don't yet have. We come humbled across our difference. Or even in our desire to be a community that seeks to love each other, even in our material and physical and and practical needs. Uh, Seeking justice for the poor, and love for the marginalized. But where we ourselves, every single one of us, needs to normalize asking for help so that we're not a community where just a select few or some are the help askers, but every one of us are always raising our hands on a regular basis saying, what you need might be different from what I need, but we all need something. None of us has all that we need, and we certainly need one another, and we certainly need our Savior. A wonderful church in Nashville, Emmanuel, Nashville, has a saying, it's a a welcoming statement that they use. They adapted it from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And it expresses so much, I think, of the kind of culture that we want to foster here as a gospel community. And it sums up so much of what's already been said. This is what it sounds like. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners, we welcome you. And what does it look like then to receive that welcome? Very briefly, how does Levi and fellow sinners respond to such a welcome from this physician? Well, we're told he got up And he left everything. You see, the only response to this kind of grace and love from God is to give your whole life to him. uh, To allow him to be the new center of your life. The new source of security. uh, The new place of belonging for you. uh, The new core identity that redefines who you are because you've been loved in a way that transforms your life. That's what happened to Levi. That's what happens to us. Levi not only left everything, he also followed Jesus. You see, when we talk about being sick people in need of healing and we talk about being a gospel community, we don't simply mean being a safe place where we can just talk honestly about our wounds. We're talking about doing that in the course of following Jesus. We're pursuing him. Jesus is our main thing. Jesus is our everything. Thirdly, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And he doesn't stop there. He actually completes the thought, I call sinners to repentance. 
You see, Jesus is not just accommodating our sinfulness and our brokenness. He does not condone our sin. He gives us grace in order to change us and to set us free. As we like to say here in our church, here's good news. God accepts you just as you are. And here's good news too. God loves you so much, he won't leave you just as you are. He wants to change you and set you free. Make you the real you, remade in the image of God in Christ. And so he calls us to repentance, to turn from our ways, to become new people, even a new community. And fourthly and lastly, how do they respond? Levi throws a party. He calls together other people similarly surprised by the grace of God. And he says, come on, I've met someone like one you would never believe who loves me. Take a risk, my friend. He might even love you. And this was the great problem. A room full of sinners eating together with Jesus, having a party. Friends, people who discover the grace of God have scandalous parties. Well, scan scandalous, you know what I mean. Not that kind of scandalous party. Scandalous because of the grace of God. People that are stunned to tears that they could be loved so. That they could find within the community company, fellowship, even family among fellow broken sinners to say, could it really be true that you could accept me like this? Could it really be true that you could know this part of my story and not run away? Could it really be true, this grace, this love, this God? You see, people that discover the grace of God don't just go on their way doing their religious duty, duties. People that discover the grace of God throw up their hands and say, thank you. Lift up their hands in praise and throw parties. A gospel community is marked by joy. And so we pray again and again, not just for the mechanics of the gospel to infiltrate our lives, but for the joy of the gospel to become our strength. So in conclusion, friends, it's an invitation. Indeed, it's a welcome. Come to the doctor. I'm sick. You're sick. The whole range of needs that we have, our sins, our selfishness, our brokenness, Come to the doctor. Come to Jesus. Find within him the forgiveness of sins. In his cross, in his resurrection, find within him freedom and life, even eternal life. And discover this Jesus in community. Oh, we long to be this kind of church. We limp along as we fail and try again to be this kind of gospel welcoming place. But will you help us build this too and to become this, that too, by the grace of God? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your welcome and help us to welcome one another like you have welcomed us. 
We glory in your grace. And we want to throw a party in our hearts and even in our midst because of the wonder of your amazing love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.